would have a customer who is 60 year old professor from a top university. She just picked up software, created something in 30 minutes, really quite advanced app. And she's like, I just can't do this and that. I'm like, okay. So that just shows that uh, the simplicity of the platform. Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday, April 8th. We made it through another week. Let's end it on a high note. Today I have for you a conversation with Miriam Hakabayan, the co-founder and CEO of Softer. Softer is very cool. It lets non-technical people like me, like an operations team inside of a company, build apps, client portals, internal tools, and dashboards all on top of their Airtable in, in minutes without writing any code. It's a part of and now one of the leaders of the no-code movement. So today we'll talk a lot about what that means. To me, what's fascinating about the no-code movement is that everybody knows how expensive and hard it is to hire engineers right now. And often the last thing that those engineers want to do is build tools for other people in the company when they could be building tools for customers. And so what companies like Softer do is they help the people who want to be building those products for themselves and want to be building tools to help themselves build those tools themselves. Uh, the no-code movement, I think, is going through a little bit of the, you know, the hype cycle where about a year ago, everything was going to be no-code. And now I think we're seeing where no-code fits and where no-code doesn't fit. And I, you know, I'm an investor in software, and, and I think that they're building something incredibly exciting and powerful, and they're growing really fast. And recently, they were named the golden kitty product of the year on product hunt where everybody goes to launch their products so a huge honor you should go check the product out and try to build something for yourself you really can do it in like less than 30 minutes at softer s-o-f-t-r no e dot i-o that's s-o-f-t-r dot i-o go check it out go build something and share what you uh what you build by tagging me at packy m or not boring it at not boring co on twitter uh, and we'll share some of the best ones if you go out and, and build something with software. Before we get to this conversation with Mary, I'm all the way from Germany, a word from our friends and the presenting sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders. That's right. It's FTX US. Now, FTX is a giant in crypto. It's the fastest company ever to reach a $32 billion valuation. FTX US is independently worth $8 billion itself. And FTX founder Sam Bankman Frieder, SBF, is a living legend, a self-made 29-year-old multi-multi-billionaire who plans to give it all away. FTX has gotten so big so fast because it's really good at building crypto products. If there's something you want to do in crypto, chances are FTX has a product for you. It's the exchange and derivatives platform that the professionals use, one of the largest exchanges in the US, and the makers of the FTX app, which can be used by you and I. The FTX app is the most complete app in crypto. It allows users to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, and even NFTs with no fees. Users can use a crypto debit card, track their entire portfolio, and get important news updates. It's also cheaper than any other cryptocurrency exchange. There's no fixed minimum fee on transactions, no ACH or transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. And now, it's becoming one of the best venture investors in crypto. Last week, we talked to Brian Pellegrino at Layer Zero, in which FTX is an investor, and just this morning, a founder told me that he was raising from FTX in a very competitive round that I got squeezed down on. So you know that uh, FTX is, is doing big things in the venture space. So to try FTX app for yourself, 
just go to your favorite app store, download the FDX app, enter code not boring to get a free token when you spend $10 in the app, or you can just click the link in the show notes for the same thing. So thank you to our friends at FTX US. Go download the FTX app and enjoy this conversation with Softer CEO and co-founder, Mariam Hakabayan. Mariam, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Great to have you here. Thank you, Paki. Great to be here. Excited to be here. We're going to start with the question that I, I start with every time, which is, what does the world look like in 10 years if Softer is as successful as possible? Our goal is for Software to become one of the world's largest ecosystem of developers and partners for building no-code apps. And what we believe is average worker, worker's knowledge tool set is going to change. Right now in CVs, you see Excel and World Award and all of these tools, but we believe it's going to change to include no-code tools and goal being that software becomes one of the, the top no-code tools to be included in people's CVs. No-code has exploded in the past few years. What are the growth stats on no-code? Where are we in the no-code growth curve right now? I think I think we are still in such an early stage of no-code in general, just people understanding what you can build with these tools. Because even two, three years ago, I, I would see people joking around saying, you know, it's, it's all hype, right? Not believing that you can do things with no-code tools. I think the last two years have just really been proving that the tools are being becoming more powerful Actually, there is a need there. The, the proof points and companies being built with no-code or companies using no-code tools are becoming more and more widespread. So it's actually right now the point that people start realizing that it's actually not just a hype, but it does bring real value to the companies. And it's really the early stages because even if you look at the market, there is not that many established, not even really like long companies that have been there for, for a very long time. Um, maybe one or two, and they are still in their early journeys. And I think we have to still go through a long journey until a lot of people, most of the people in the world, really realize that um, there is such tools that you can even use to build some things. It is unbelievable that pretty much the, the Gartner hype cycle just plays out in every industry where technology trigger, hype, you know, peak of inflated expectations, then the crash, and then things start kind of like growing back up and adoption happens. It's everything that I talk to, and it's very clearly happening in, in no-code, and probably a good sign is when all the builders are still building, but you just don't hear as much about it. That means that like the work is happening where in a few years, you'll get to a spot where you know, a lot of people are building with, with no-code. Today with the software, what does the product look like and what does it allow people to do? So software today is by the community considered as one of the easiest no-code platforms to create custom applications powered by your Airtable data at the moment. And it has zero learning curve. That's what at least we aim for. So right now it powers 50K, almost close to 50K users that we have grown to. It's a horizontal platform that lets really any type of user build any type of product. So we have customers ranging from entrepreneurs, creators to some of the Fortune 500 companies, and they're building completely different types of apps. So some people are starting from landing pages, then growing towards uh, building more B2C types of apps and the bigger portion, especially the bigger area where the customers are getting the most value, especially at the moment, are uh, really around businesses. The companies that have so far had no really good opportunities or good ways to build their internal tooling or make manual processes 
digitize those processes. So they, they right now are also now able to build tools that they use to interact with their external partners, internal employees, and beyond that. When people are making the decision to buy software and to start using software, like what are they comparing it to? Are they comparing it to the cost of hiring someone? Are they thinking we actually can't even hire this engineer if we wanted to? Like, how are they doing that that calculus? Yeah, it it really depends on the types of customers. So if it's if it's companies, small small medium businesses, especially in the non tech um, space, they typically cannot afford to hire an engineer. And to be frank, engineers typically wouldn't go to work for these types of smaller in, uh, companies, right? So the other option they have is buying some of the vertical solutions that are created for solving that specific need. Let's say creating client or customer portals. But then those things are be really expensive for them. So they don't really have much choice. They're kind of stuck in the Excel era. And they are comparing, typically they are moving from this manual process, Excel types of, or email back and forth type of processes to using these tools to digitize their businesses. And then on the other hand, there is other types of companies which already have engineering teams, but because we know there is such a shortage of engineering talent in the entire world, everyone is competing for engineering resources. So typically outside the core product and innovation that's happening in the company, all the other departments now are stuck and business people are really tight. Their their hands are tight. They can't really solve problems on their own. So they have to always rely on engineering resources or engineering people. And then what, what software enables them really is the, the need to not necessarily hire enge- additional engineers or reducing the costs of the company. So essentially providing them the tools so that they can use these tools to create all the tools that they need for their work, whether it's externally or internally. It makes a ton of sense. When I was at Breather before this, as part of my job, ran our, our operations team and also ran kind of different pieces of the other. So real estate, because real estate was the product, could kind of get things pushed through on the engineering side if they wanted to. And the operations team would always just have to beg to get the things that they wanted that made a real impact on people's day-to-day, the efficiency of the company. But the engineers were just like, I don't know, it's internal. I don't know if I want to build that. And so having the ability to just go in and make the thing that you want to make, like I think unless you've been in that frustrating position of kind of asking for and not getting an engineer's time, I don't. it's hard to grok just how, how magical that must feel for people when they're able to just go out and build the thing that does it for them. Exactly. Because those people are also not technical, not very tech savvy or design design experienced, they feel like they have superpowers when they actually can turn their data or anything that they're doing internally into something that's working, that's interactive, right? And that's that's where, where the beauty comes in is that all of these people that previously just didn't have any other choice or couldn't do things themselves with technology, creating products or tools, now they can do so. What, what are the coolest examples of things that you've heard of people building or the ones that you think are just like, oh, wow, I wouldn't have even thought of that, but it's so cool that someone was able to do that? Um, there is quite many, I have to think, but some sometimes people are actually making, um, there's, there's two extremes. One is on taking software to the extreme of creating such a beautiful and really beautifully designed application that sometimes we think, oh, did they use our building blocks that we are offering? Because sometimes our own looks even worse than what they created as a result. And then on the other hand, we have also people creating extremes on the more powerful application side, where they take, they essentially use Airtable automations or they connect software to Zapier and do other types of um, 
automations on the backend. And then these automations turn the data back to Airtable that comes back to software. And it, it really looks like a full interactive process, like process has been automated and an application in front build it, build. Things that sometimes we don't support, but then people are really creative on finding ways to extend beyond what we offer. So that's those those two things are really coming to my mind that that sometimes blows our um, mind of what what is possible to do with software that even we didn't imagine in the first place. And you must have some fairly strong user love. You're the Golden Kitty Award winner. Best what was it? Best just product overall of the year? Yeah, it, it's just one nomination, which is called Product of the Year. That's a pretty big, uh, big award to get. One, what went into getting that? Like, how did you do it? What was the process like? Was it just the community love? And then like, two, what happens when you get the golden kitty and everybody <laughs> sees it? Like, oh, wow, this is the best product according to product out of the year. <laughs> actually, yeah, it, it's, it's really an honor for us, for us because we, we did some research and actually some of the previous uh, product of the year companies have been one of those was Figma. And it's really... Uh, now one of the best companies of the world, which is, yeah, we're, it's, it's really honor for us to be nominated and winning this category. Actually, to be honest, to be fair with you, we have done almost nothing, really. Uh, we, we have had community members um, <laughs> nominating software to be one of the, to be listed as one of the products of the year. But again, there's, there's fierce competition there. And then typically, it's all of the members of the community that go in and vote. So you, you can't do anything. It's just a community really voting. And then at the end, I think yeah. there is some intervention from so some of the product hunt jury uh, votes to some extent. And then also it's still a community and the product hunt jury. So at the end, um, join as one of the top three listed out candidates and then they just announce who is the winner. So <laughs> there's not really much we have done or we could have done. Uh, I guess what we have done is just really creating this passionate community around software and really creating a product that people enjoy using. And one thing that we have been very, very focused from the early days has been just listening to customers, understanding that what they need and really just building the product. And we have actually, we have been joking internally as well when, when you hired our first growth person and we were like, okay, now we're going to do a bit more, you know, initiatives on the growth side, this and that. And then we explained him in a way that, you know, we have reached this amount of customers, this amount of revenue, all with zero dollars in marketing, but we haven't really done much. We have, you know, we had just built a product <laughs> and <laughs> we, we talk to customers and we build a product, right? So that's really essentially what we have been doing over the last year. And it's still work in progress. It's still evolving over time. But I think what, what really makes people love the product is how simple and easy it is to use and exactly feeling like they have superpowers because now they can turn either their own ideas within a company or even externally if they have something that they have been dreaming to do for years and now they can they can just do it within 30 minutes they have something up and running i think that that feels to them like magic i've used it a little bit too so uh a little inside baseball Miriam sends out and in the investor updates one a software page but then to the idea of like how did the investors themselves use software to create uh portfolio pages and so i've been playing around with it a little bit myself i need to build a whole website but that will be that will right. be a part of it <laughs> it does as someone non-technical like me feel like magic to be able to actually turn my disorganized, messy Airtable into something that uh, that actually looks like kind of be beautiful and presentable. What happened after you win the Golden Kitty? Are users just pouring out of the woodwork? Like, was that the biggest growth they ever? The biggest moment in the beginning of Not Boring was 
getting number one on product hunt or number two on product hunt one day. And it just completely changed the, the trajectory. I can't imagine what happens when you're the best product of the year. Actually, that hasn't really been uh, the not even the biggest channel for us as a growth. It, like after after becoming the product of the year, first time for sure when we launched the very first time the product as an MVP version, which was just a website builder, very static version. That was the time when people essentially just started to know there is such a tool as well. There is a tool called Software, and you can build this and that. As product Hunt was one of the first so- biggest sources, but actually right now, even after fundraise that we had in January and the product hunt announcement, the product hunt and social in general is not the biggest channel for sure. So actually we have, we have a lot of word of mouth, virality of the product and organic mm-hmm. um, as being the biggest channels. And that just shows that people are building, people talk about it, share with their own communities. And it's, it's essentially uh, all through those channels and also through, you could consider kind of like true product, right? So it's not really, product hunt for sure plays a huge role. Um, but then again, there is different types of audiences and different people knew, I would say yeah. also people knew to some extent the product hunt community and our community already knew about software. So it wasn't like there there was huge amount of people learning about software like from completely nothing. So that's why probably, I guess the, the uptick wasn't that big. You mentioned in there that it's mostly word of mouth growth, which is what you want. It's mostly people just using the product and talking about it and sharing it and other people seeing that people have built things on the product and all of those good things happening. But to get to a really big scale, you said you hired a growth person, you're going to have to start spending on marketing. How do you think about making sure that you keep that original kind of word of mouth magic and enhancing it and like pouring fuel onto the fire without breaking what made it so special in the first place? I guess still focusing on the same channels that we were. We believe our biggest growth should still come from from the product itself, from organic channels and the variety of the product. So some things that we are doing is really working around the product, how to enhance you know, growth loops, how to enhance the variety of the product. And of course, the other bigger portion is really community. So community has been one of the core pillars of us, of our software product and just our approach in general and product building, company building. And that's something that we definitely are going to keep and continue continue even hiring and having community people to really engage, help out communities to build stuff, to understand what they can do at all with the tool and through community, through organic channels. And of course, there is all the other channels that we are experimenting with to, to help us scale what works, but mostly focusing on on still the organic part. I want to zoom in on community because I think everybody in the world at this point says that they have a community, wants to figure out how to build a community. A community manager has been one of the hottest jobs out there, I think, recently, both in Web3 and outside of it. There's obvious value to building a community if you can make it happen, but it's really hard because now everybody is asking everybody to join their community. It feels like you've actually been able to do it. Like For people out there who want to build a community, what tips do you have and like how did you actually build a community that's kind of vibrant and, and one of the strengths of the company? We still have so, so, so much to do on that, <laughs> that regard, actually, because it has all grown organically so far. Some things that we have done, which we believe have been really um, successful and the things that also, you know, customers and communities keep uh, bringing back to us is being close to the community, understanding their needs and really just solving those needs, right? Getting back to them and them. So that w- one thing that keeps coming back is from customers, how quickly we evolve and how much 
come back with solutions to customers, things that they asked for, and now they can see it evolving in the product. And now maybe in a month or so, they already have that in the product and they can use the product in the way they want it. Also, the other portion is engage, engaging, but also empowering the community. So really helping them to create things, but also promote. So some things that we do, for example, is when we have some interesting builds and people building some some stuff they want to share, etc. So in our community product update, in our product update newsletters, every week we have section for community dedicated to just really showcasing all of the good things that have been built with software, right? So that helps not just them, but also us really engaging and motivating all those people to build and showcase what, what they have done. That has been one of the things that has worked really well. One, one other portion is, of course, education, which we still have to do a good job on, but really partnering up with the, the passionate community around software and helping them to be successful, right? So whether it's building the app or whether it's someone building a business using software and creating uh, apps for the clients, whatever that, that is, is really just helping them to be successful. And that's of course, requires some uh, us to talk to them, to understand what their needs are, what they really, essentially, how we can support them as a company. It's really just being close to them and helping them to be successful because if they are successful, obviously we are as well. I feel like all the good communities have a few people who just stand out as like community superstars who just do it for like out of the goodness of their heart and the love for the product. Are there people like that in the community or is it all kind yeah, of that's, just sitting that's a really there and people? Most of our team members as well are very active and just supporting, you know, supporting people with questions, etc. But the biggest portion of, of our customer base, exactly as you said, there is, there is very, uh, very passionate community members and people who are actually leading, leading and driving those conversations in the Slack community that we also, uh, I mean, we have bigger community around software, but in the Slack specifically, more than 1,500 people, the conversations are evolving naturally on their own. As you said, there is some people who are more power users, who are the experts, etc. And they essentially are helping out. They keep engaging with others. They keep asking others for their builds, etc. So there is really kind of vibrant community driven by themselves. So that's probably, that. you're right, that's actually the driving force behind because right now we don't even have a community member in our team who is just kind of dedicated to driving those efforts. So, yeah. What do you think drives those people to do that? <laughs> Good question. Well, I guess that, uh, again, probably depends on the type of person and the types of things that they want to do. But some people are driven because they now manage to build their dream product or start their dream businesses, which they couldn't do before. Some others are driven because now they manage to do things without engineers and they just feel like they, they can do anything they want, right? Within, if someone is building and within the 30 minutes, they feel like that they managed to do something that they, they never managed, they thought they need to start learning how to code to do, to do that thing. Uh, that, just, that, just, that just feels like magic to them. I don't know if it's the right... <laughs> If it's really the right way to kind of explain, but also, you know, even people like building and sharing, right? You could ask, why are they sharing even on Twitter and any other in their own communities? It's also because when you have built something with your hands and you are the owner of that, you feel really proud and you really want to share with the world what you have. 
It makes sense. I guess there's that sense of empowerment and then you want to like go give that to other other people. It's cool that there's like no, in many cases, no monetary reason to do it, no anything. It's just kind of like, whoa, I was able to do this. Now I want other people to be able to do this. Yeah, this no, thing. We, have, we don't have any monetary uh, incentives. I think that to some extent might, might even work the, the, uh, the vice versa and work backwards towards us. Totally. It, I mean, like that's a behavioral economics 101 type thing where if you attach a monetary value to a thing where people are kind of otherwise intrinsically motivated, you make them compare that little financial incentive versus like the time that it would take to do it. And they're like, oh, wait, I'm only getting like $5 an hour to do this. Right. Like, never mind. When they would have happily done it for free. So yeah, I think if figuring out the intrinsic motivation and how to enhance that is, is probably exactly. And coming back to that topic, actually, it's not just the community members, but we have tons of people producing content, creating entire YouTube channels just dedicated to software, creating entire businesses that are just dedicated to creating apps with software for clients, etc. So this, these, these things have, we haven't pushed them, right? We haven't, we haven't done anything explicit for that. It's, it's an interesting motivation that they have had. And now they, they do that. They feel empowered. They feel that they, yeah, um, that they're successful and then they want to teach others as well. I guess zooming out, like so now there's this whole group of people who otherwise wouldn't be software creators or wouldn't be digital creators who are now making things. We taught, we started with what the world looks like 10, 10 years from now, but kind of like in those intervening 10 years, like how do you see this evolving? What percent of code that gets written do you think will be in a no-code interface? How will that blend look and who will software creators be in the next decade? There's several portions to that. First of all, just the education, right? Just making sure that everyone knows that what they can achieve with now with these tools. And I don't think like probably just like we are living in the Twitter Twitter bubble, especially within the knockout space. It's such a small bubble <laughs> and that sometimes you feel like oh, everyone knows all these tools, using these tools in different ways. But when you zoom in a bit outside that and you talk to, you know, someone owning a restaurant or some, someone running a recruitment agency, they are completely unaware that there is these tools. They are not, they are use, still using Excel and emails, right? It's still really the early days of knockout because it's still the education piece there and people need to learn about like what's possible. So that requires a lot of education guidance, courses, like partnering up with different universities, communities, etc. And the second part is really to reach that goal of software, for example, specifically being one of the no-code tools for people of choice is really the simplicity of the product. So over the last 10 years as well, like six to 10 years, there have been several also platforms in the modern era trying to help people create no-code apps. But the things that haven't really worked are still because those platforms have been extremely technical, difficult to use. So it still doesn't really open it up to the broader audience. Like we have a customer who is 60-year-old professor from a top university. She just picked up software, created something in 30 minutes, really quite advanced app. And she's like, I just can't do this and that. I'm like, okay. So that just shows that uh, the simplicity of the platform and really as a platform, uh, doing the heavy lifting and leave, leaving everything on user, what's really important to them, what's really important to their business. Instead of asking them to create their app pixel by pixel, I think that's extremely important. So it really comes back to the product and how you build the product as you also grow and it becomes more and more complex that it still stays as simple and easy to use. Yeah, I remember this was one of the things that we talked about the first time that we we spoke. The hard engineering that goes into making something so simple. It's not like all the other platforms that have come before wanted to make things complex or wanted to make things hard, but like 
actually doing the work under the surface to make things simple on the surface is just really, really technically yep. difficult. What is that like? How long has it taken you to get here? What kind of engineering does it take to abstract away all that complex stuff into something simple, but also keep it powerful? I think it comes back to the mindset that the approach you want to take. So one approach that we have taken, which is unique to software, is the right balance between just enough customizability and constraints on the other hand in software. So things like um, authentication payments, these are hard engineering problems. If you, if you give it to engineering team, they might spend a month or two just integrating Stripe. So the way we have approached it is, you know, those are all repeating types of problems. Why not just abstract them away, right? So we have taken Stripe as one example and then abstracted it away. And if I, as an end user, I want to add payments to my, to my application, I'm just going to enable that or click a button or click just a building block that does that. And then it comes in pre-built. All of that is in it because as an end user or a user of the builder of the application, I don't really care how the technicalities work behind, right? And that makes it difficult as well. So I think the, the yeah. way we have approached it is really looking more from a kind of Lego building perspective. So we give you the Lego bricks, which are these pre-built components. You can still customize them. You can still adjust it to your needs, change layouts, colors, etc. But they are coming pre-built, nice looking, but then also having the functionality in it. And you just really assemble them together like a Lego. And as we know, every child can make a Lego and all the types of Legos they can, but it's still giving you all the pieces and you can be very creative with it, right? So that's kind of the approach we have taken, which is quite different from many other platforms, which does the heavy lifting and then leaves the easy part on the customer. That's really what has helped us make the platform so simple to use. There is some types of customers that are always going to need the control. Like if the designers would always complain that they can't customize, they can't add animations and customize the platform to the extent that they need. But that's great. I mean, designers are just, for example, 1% of the entire population, but most of the people don't need that flexibility and customization, right? So that's kind of the approach we have taken is really explicitly setting the limitations and constraints with the price of having it easy and at the same time also being responsive on every other uh, layout that you're building. One of the things I love about, I think, just technology in, in general is like th there's all these things happening at the same time, and then at some point in the future, they kind of converge. You mentioned Stripe. Stripe kicks off this wave of API-first companies that don't just do payments, but do everything from background checks to you can put taxes in your app and like all these types of things that people are just building these very specific solutions for. And then at some point in the future, in the interim, the, the engineers are the first ones to get their hands in there and start playing with these things and integrating them. But then it means for you... It's a lot easier, I'd imagine, to turn all of those kind of API-first products into building blocks. So as this whole ecosystem of people exactly. are developing APIs, you can just build building blocks and then like a random person like me can come in and build something that like, you know, automatically calculates your taxes as you're getting paid. All this crazy stuff that would have been impossible for me to do even like three years ago. Exactly. And if you actually zoom out from all of this like conversation and just in general, no code, right? We would realize that no code is just really an abstraction level of engineering. It's just the next level of evolution because previously, you know, people would write code in assembler and then they would, then the APIs came in. Then people started having more microservices and interaction using the APIs. 
And then people build on top of that. Now we are actually at the next, even even now in companies, you know, if you need a calendar block or Kanban, you won't start building from scratch, even if you know how to do it, right? You would use an existing library. So it's the same with, with the no-code building as well. It's just the next level of abstraction, abstracting away all of the technicalities and then giving that access and ease of use to, to the broader audience, the, the average person on, on the planet that can now use these blocks to build what they need. If someone out there listening right now wants to go try it, where's the best place to start? Is there like a particularly good guide to get started and figure out how to do it? Should you just dive in? Where, where should people go find software and start playing it? Typically, people just sign up. It's available for free. It's a free product. You can try almost all the functionalities on the fly. And typically, people do not really even read documents before they start. So we claim to have zero learning curve. We, we are aiming for that. But that's, that's really comparably quite easy and within 30 minutes you can have already an app application up and running which has a database which has a front end and has a business logic in between some educational places where we have video tutorials etc if need by then we have also a youtube channel we just you can just type software in youtube and you'll also get lots of community content around that but yeah so the platform is is simple enough so i would recommend people to just start diving right away start building something I'm going to do it. I, I'm telling you, when I eventually launch a website, there are going to be pages that are just built on, on top of the software. So keep an eye out for that. Miriam, thank you so much for, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Paki. Thank you so much for the invite.